0: My name is John, and I'm new here. They asked me to preach. I'm not new, but I kind of am. Um, My my family and I were sent off to China from Idlewild and Idlewild Bible Church 12 years ago. And um, we just are blessed to be able to come back for the summer and share share some time in Idlewild, actually, just breathing fresh air seeing the sun shine like it's supposed to shine, the blue sky, and all of that. It's it's great to be back, and also to be back here with the church family at IBC. You sent us out, but that wasn't the end of it. You have partnered with us, prayed for us, encouraged us. We can only continue to be in Beijing because we are together in that venture. So we are so thankful for that. Um, If you look in your bulletin, you'll see a little insert for the sermon this morning. If you like to write notes on inserts, then that's for you. You'll see that the message this morning is entitled, Removing the Distance, Lepers, Gentiles, and Redemption. Kind of a weird title. I'll have to explain that. I guess I've had long distance on the brain recently because we did come from China so I did the math, and from Beijing to Los Angeles is 6,500 miles, and that's a long way. If you want to remove that distance, when we, when we come home, we jump on an airplane, and the airplane is maybe going 500 miles an hour, and 13 hours later, after we got on the plane, we step off in Los Angeles, and mission accomplished, the distance has been removed, It's one thing, though, to think about distance between two points on a map, Beijing and Los Angeles, and how do we remove that distance, whether on an airplane or a car or a bicycle. That would take a long time on a bicycle, though, actually. It's one thing to think about that, distance between two points. But this morning, I want to think about distance a little bit different and removing a different kind of distance, and that is the distance or the separation between a holy God and sinful humanity. That's more than 6,500 miles. That's not the type of thing that we calculate in mileage. And no amount of getting on an airplane is going to take care of that distance between God and us, between a good creator and creation that really has gone off the deep end in an aimless search for happiness apart from the one who made them. That is a huge divide, a massive separation, a long distance. And it really begs the question, how is that distance removed? I think the answer to that, the removal of that distance, the God-humanity separation, is at the heart of the story of redemption that we find in the scriptures, a story of redemption that we read about in the Bible, a a redemption of people like lepers, a redemption of Gentiles, people who have been cast out, left on the, the outsides, forgotten about in society. It's ultimately, as well, the redemption of you and me. We're going to take a moment to to dive in a little more on that. But first, I'd like to commit this portion of the morning to the Lord in prayer. So would you bow with me? Lord God, I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to us. May we have ears to listen. May we have eyes to see what you are showing us. May we have hearts that are open and willing to be moved and shaped. May you be glorified in this time, we pray. Amen. Now, if we were going to look in the dictionary at the word redemption, redemption, maybe in the very simplest form, we might read, Something like this. The act of saving or being saved from something. Very simple. The act of saving or being saved from something. And in the scriptures, there are plenty of places we can go to read about this redemption. This saving act. Being saved from something. But perhaps the description of redemption that I think is most profound, striking, significant is found in a portion of scripture from the book of Luke, and it's a story about Jesus who heals a a man with leprosy in the book of Luke chapter 5, and if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, you probably do on your phone, right? If you don't have a Bible, put your hand up. We can put one in your hands, and, and you can keep it, I think. Can you still keep the Bibles? Okay, good. You can keep the Bible. But if you will, turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 12, and I have these little things that I use now. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. I'm 45 now. And um, what I noticed, it was really interesting. I noticed that over time, the words in my Bible got smaller and smaller. And so I just kept buying new Bibles, thinking that, you know, it's, I realize it's not the Bible. It's, so some of you maybe already know this, but it was a big deal for me. You know, it's kind of like that next step of you need reading glasses because you can't see. So anyway, I might be on a wheelchair next time I'm here visiting. (laughs) Hopefully not. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. It says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We're going to stop right there. So Jesus, it says, is in this town, and he's in the midst of his, his ministry. He comes upon a man who has leprosy. And leprosy, you might be familiar, it's a skin disease, it's highly contagious, incurable to the extent that once you received it, it was essentially a death sentence at that time. Your life was basically over. You could really no longer have interaction with people. And in fact, you had to try as best you could to keep your distance from everybody for fear that someone else might come in contact with you. And if they did, they might as well contract the disease. And so you were physically and in every other way marginalized, put on the outside and in many ways forgotten about. These people were rejected as hopeless as hopeless could be. Okay, understand this is the type of person we're talking about. Jesus enters the town. This individual sees him. And immediately it says he falls face down. Face down in the dirt. Maybe he raised his hands up while his head was down. Begging, it says. Begging for Jesus to save him. Begging for Jesus to heal him. Think for a moment, if you could, just... To, to imagine what it would what it, what it have been like to have been this individual, to be this man who has, who has no hope, really no life. Maybe he has heard stories of this one named Jesus who, who's going around. And, and maybe he's heard of the healings. And maybe he has hoped that one day, possibly this Jesus might come down. And then... He gets word. Jesus is coming. And there's a crowd because there's always a crowd. And he sees Jesus. And his his immediate response to that is to fall face down. Face in the dirt. And then to beg. Jesus, will you heal me? If you were willing, Lord, heal me. Jesus was willing. He said, be clean. And the leprosy left him. He was healed. But before Jesus spoke to this man with his mouth, he spoke, even more powerfully I might add, he spoke to this man with his actions. Because it says the first thing he did was to touch him. Jesus touched this man. Now, I know we, we read this, it's a little teeny part of a story that we've read a million times, and we just read through it. But if we could stop right there and let that sit with us for a bit. Jesus touched the person that no one else would touch. I'm really intrigued by an interesting question that comes out of this, and that is why would Jesus heal in this way? He didn't actually need to touch to heal. And in fact, he's healed numerous people and continue to heal people. And the way that he healed was different. Not, Not the same. It wasn't cookie cutter healing. And so in different situations, Jesus would heal in different ways. And sometimes he would simply speak the healing into existence. He would simply say, you are healed. And that was it. Why, in this case, did he choose to touch this person? Of all people, right? Like if you're going to heal someone who's blind or deaf or, you know, you touch that person, that's fine. Touch. But why Why do you touch this person that you're not supposed to touch? No one touches. Hands off. I think it was very deliberate what he was doing. He was speaking He was communicating loudly without saying a word at that moment by touching this person. This person who his whole life is spent keeping distance with everybody else. Maintain the distance. No one get close. Jesus crashes in on that and removes that distance. Jesus goes right to him puts his hand upon this man who maybe had not felt the hand of another human being in a long long time jesus goes there removing the distance that separated the two i go back to that and i think what a profound thing he did one of the most significant meaningful acts of jesus that i think that we read about in the bible And then if you think, again, there's a crowd. There's people around. And so then what might they have been thinking? Can you imagine the looks on the faces of people that were standing around? What are you doing? You know, jaws dropped. Brains just like exploding. Jesus, don't you know? You can't do that. It's like Jesus is turning it around though. What am I doing? As if he would say to them, I'm being Jesus. I'm being Jesus. This is what I do. Jesus touches the untouchable. When no one else will touch and everybody will keep their distance, Jesus goes right there. Jesus loves the unlovable. Jesus embraces Jesus. The outcast. Jesus removes the distance between himself and broken humanity, both physically and spiritually. This is redemption. This is the story of the leper. But it's not just the story of the leper. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's your story too. Yeah, I know. Sometimes we forget. Like, we don't see ourselves as a leper. I don't have stuff all over me. I'm not outcast. People generally like me. You know, we we generally have a a pretty good high view of ourselves. When it comes to these things, though, we have to kind of, like, get rid of that and understand that we are that person. We are that person that Jesus came and touched. We sing about amazing grace, which is, it is amazing. It's not quite as amazing if we have kind of a high view of ourselves. That we're actually really kind of good. And we, you know, we kind of got it all figured out. And Jesus kind of just gave us that last push over the finish line. Because we were right about there. Amazing grace. No, what's really amazing about grace is that we were not there. We're in the dirt, face in the dirt, hands raised up. Saying, begging, I've got nothing. I have absolutely nothing, Jesus. Can you, will you, are you willing to save me? This is redemption. He reached out his hand. He touched the man. He removes the distance between the clean and the unclean, between the leper and the rest of society, This idea of redemption as well is also at the heart of the distance that separates peoples. And we're going to read in a moment in the book of Acts. But it's peoples, the Jews and the Gentiles. There was, especially at that time, there was a massive separation between these two peoples. Redemption is about bringing them together as well. We'll be in Acts chapter 11 starting with verse 19. And before I read that, just to carry on the story, Jesus spent three years about, and he was, he was working, ministering amongst the people. After that time, he was crucified, and then he rose again. And yet, though he departed physically from the earth, that didn't mark the end of the redemption story. It wasn't over at that point. Because he left the Holy Spirit who is still now at work, alive and well, working in the hearts of people. And he appointed ambassadors. He appointed people, normal people, who were followers of his, now to be the ones who would spread this redemption story. So it was really just all getting started with Jesus. In that sense, he handed off the baton to his followers, to people, who would now... Carry on this story. Who would now be Jesus, be His voice, His hands to a world so desperate in hearing from Him, so desperate in feeling His touch? Uh, it's, it's a crazy plan to think about. that. This is Jesus. This is God in the flesh. And now, as part of the plan, we're going to pass the baton to, like, us. Like, Joe from Idlewild, right? Steve from L.A. and Nancy. It's like, that's an interesting plan. But that's what he did. So people are going to now be those who embrace the ones who no one else will touch. People now are going to be those who will work to remove the distance between Jesus and others. In the scriptures, there's lots of places where we see normal people doing remarkable things, and one of the best examples I've found, and I love it, it's in the book of Acts chapter 11, as I mentioned, a very small section, and again, we read right over it probably without thinking about it, but I'm going to focus on that just a little bit. Before I do, a real quick uh, two-minute synopsis of the book of Acts. When it starts off, Jesus, he's, he's died, he rises again, he meets with his followers now. And he basically commissions them. He basically appoints them in that sense and sends them out. You're now going to be my hands and my feet. This is happening in the book of Acts. The church starts out very small in Jerusalem, but it grows and it grows and it grows. And along with that growth comes the acknowledgement of the authorities. They see it, and so they start to persecute. And uh, they persecute the followers. But instead instead of driving everybody... To stop or driving everybody underground, the church just continues to grow. It won't stop. And this is the first portion of the book of Acts. And then we come to Acts chapter 7, and it's kind of like an inflection point or a change in the story as it unfolds. And there we read about Stephen, who's one of the leaders of the church. He is arrested, he is tried, and he is eventually stoned to death for his belief in Jesus. This act of murder, by the way, was cheered on by one Saul of Tarsus, Saul, Paul, one of the most important foundational leaders in the early church, this is before Jesus touched him. This is before the redemption story became his. He's Saul of Tarsus, and he's cheering on Stephen's death. But then what happens is after Stephen dies, a greater persecution breaks out against the church. And what it does is it forces believers to, to go, to move out of Jerusalem. What's interesting, though, is instead of them, again, going underground or just zipping the lip and not talking anymore, they double down. They get sent out, and they keep talking even more. We're going to keep spreading this story. But now it's not just in Jerusalem. It's moving out into the surrounding areas, new cities, new towns, new people. In this case, what looked like an awful development for the church, Stephen's death, the persecution of the believers, it actually was turned into a blessing for the church. It's a blessing because the people are now going out. They're forced to leave the comfortable. They're going out and continuing to spread this message of redemption. This is a quick aside. Aside. Commercial pause. Um, when things go bad, it's always important to remember that God is at work. And our vision is like this. Or maybe like this. We, see, we have puny vision. We see this much. And that's what we can see when things go bad. They they don't go like we planned. And meanwhile, God's out here doing this much. Someone once made a great observation. They said, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you might be aware of three of them. God is doing 10,000 things in your life, and you might be aware of three of them, maybe two. This is what we're aware of often. We're aware of two things that are happening. And yet God is out here doing 10,000 things. What a reminder to us. In the midst of difficulty, in the midst of struggle, to step back, to say, God, what are you doing? To trust that God is good. And that he is doing something that's bigger and broader and better than we can see. Under the surface, outside of plain view, God is working, God is moving by his Holy Spirit. Do not forget it. That's what was happening in the book of Acts. Stephen is killed. That's horrible news. And the church is persecuted. That's awful. And again, the people would be seeing this much of that story and saying, you know, I wouldn't have blamed them if they would have said, forget it, pack it in, go home. But they don't because God is at work. And actually, this bad news is being used by God to bring about far greater good as the people scatter. Go ahead and you've already been there. Acts chapter 11 we're going to see a little bit more about how this movement was spreading. Acts chapter 11, starting with verse 19. It says this Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them about the good news of the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand, it says, was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Stop right there. Stephen dies. The people are scattered. And how is this movement now spreading? The Jewish people, right? They are doing what is most natural. It says that they're going to fellow Jews. They're going to the synagogues in the areas surrounding. It really is the most natural thing to do. Almost all of the early believers were Jewish. The birth of the church was in Jerusalem. Jesus was the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah of the Jewish people. And so as the movement begins to spread, it naturally spreads amongst the Jewish people. And yet then in the midst of this, we just read it in in Acts 11.20, there were some guys, and I call them random nobodies. We don't hear names, no names. All we know about them is that they were guys from Cyprus and Cyrene who ended up in the city of Antioch. And these guys decided to do something a little different. Profound, even maybe. These guys decided to talk to other people, the Greeks, which is the Gentiles, as well. I often think, what what was the mindset of, of these people? H- how does that work exactly? When you're you're sitting there and you're doing something and everybody's kind of doing it and and things are going out, but then like. Is it over lunch somebody just gets this crazy idea? Or you know, how does that work that then someone goes, hey, hey, what about these guys? Do you think we should tell them too? Because we've only been talking with these people, but wh- what do you think? I can imagine, like, what the, the first conversation, hey guys, should we do it? I don't know. What do you think? Let's talk about it. Yeah. They're going around. Well, should we? That's kind of weird and crazy. But they do. In a very similar way to Jesus daring to touch the person who no one else would touch, these guys dare to talk to the people who aren't being talked to, the Gentiles. And again, you've got to understand, the divide is big. The Jewish and the Gentile divide is big. And these guys decide to take a chance. They dared to step out. I believe they saw something that other people don't normally see. They have vision that's unique. They're seeing things. But it's not just a matter of seeing things and going, wow, look at that. It's also to have the courage to to do something about it. And they did. And I think it does does take courage to say, we're going to do something that no one else is doing now. And we're not quite sure what the reaction is going to be, but we're going to do it anyway. Because we believe this is the right and the good thing to do. And they did. And in verse 21, of course, it says that the Lord blessed their efforts. And many more people, many more people came to know the Lord because of that. What these guys did was risky and yet it was the right thing to do. Removing distance that separated peoples. Being the ambassadors of the Lord Jesus whose ministry was all about doing that. The Jesus who goes and touches people who no one else will touch and loves people no one else will love and embraces people no one else will embrace. His followers take the baton and they say, let's do that. And so there's us. If you were a follower of Jesus today, then like the leper, you too were an outcast. You were an untouchable. You were a nobody and yet, Jesus, because of His amazing grace, embraced you and me. Yeah, that's like an amen. I mean, that's like a triple amen. Are you serious? That is our story. It's not a leper story that happened long, long, long time ago between Jesus. And le- it's our story today. And sometimes we just need to go back there and sit with that and be amazed and blown away by that. Because sometimes we forget. If you've come and you say, no, that's not me. I don't know that that's ever been me. I want you to know that today you can know that touch of Jesus. You can know what it means to have your story and Jesus' redemption story linked And you can talk to me or you can talk to someone you came with or any number of people in this room who would tell you about that. We are like the leper. And yet, if we are a follower of Jesus as well, then we're also like these guys from Cyprus and Cyrene. We have been called in this generation, in this time, to be the people who go and touch those who no one else will touch we have been called to embrace the outcast. And how I pray that that would be the story of, of Idlewild Bible Church. That the way we do life is, is, is outward thinking that way. That God would give us the vision to see. There's blind spots, right? Every church, everybody's got blind spots. What are we missing? Who's around us, Right? The guys way back then said, what are we missing? You're missing the Gentiles. There's lots of them. They're all around. Who are we missing in Idlewild? Give us vision, Lord, to see. And then give us courage to do. Because these people probably aren't like us. And they they don't smell like us. And they don't dress like us. And they blah, 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 whatever else. There's distance. We like the distance. But we've been called to remove it. My prayer that we would be people who do have vision and courage and that we do live out this redemption story in our time right now. That we would be the hands, the voice of Jesus to this generation that so needs to hear from him and to feel his touch. We're going to take a moment just to be silent before the Lord and to pray and I would ask you just to bow your head and just to consider what God through the Holy Spirit might be saying to you today. What is it that he wants to speak to you about?